Ortho Laser Orthopedic Laser Centers is proud to sponsor the Ortho Show podcast. Ortho Laser Orthopedic Laser Centers is killing it right now. We have six centers open with two more opening in the next eight weeks with 10 more sites in the queue across the country. We're exclusively powered by the MLS M8 laser technology. Laser treatment is an awesome alternative to traditional cortisone shots and surgery for all of your acute and chronic orthopedic pain needs for your patients. To find out how you can supercharge your orthopedic practice and become a part of the OrthoLaser community, go to the OrthoLaser website at www.ortholaserwithaz.com. That's www.ortholaserwithaz.com. From Medical Media, this is The Ortho Show. Hello, world. Yes, it's your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of the Ortho Show podcast. Uh, we are always bringing you the best of the best in the orthopedic world, and there's no exception today. We have a dear friend of mine, absolutely one of my favorite orthopedic surgeons on the planet. We have Dr. Paul Favorito, who's the clinical director of the shoulder. And I want to be very clear about this, the upper extremity service line for Christ Hospital. Uh, he is... Uh, what, I, as far as I'm concerned, one of the the iconic American shoulder surgeons, and uh, it's a real pleasure to have you on, sir. Siggy, it is so good to be on this show. I've been watching all of your uh, incredible participants so far, your guests, and um, I have no idea why you want me on here, but I am thrilled to be part of this. Well, I can tell you, for the first thing, I definitely want the reason I have you on is because today we're going to get both. The steak and the sizzle. I, had, I, I knew steak and sizzle was going to come up. I, my over-under was three minutes, so, um, so, so I'm impressed. Uh, for all the listeners out there, that's uh, that's like one of Paul's uh, fantastic lines that he will typically use in one of our important professional education meetings or society meetings. Or just one of those things that we uh, we always just have a lot of fun with. So before we go deep into, into orthopedics, I think we need to talk about Buffalo because... I mean, there's a couple of really important things in Buffalo that we need to discuss. And, and uh, I know that is near and dear to your heart. You were born and bred there. Uh, you know, you moved on over to Cincinnati for a couple of years here and there. But for the most part, that's where you were. So I want to start with probably the most important thing. And let's let's talk wings, because, you know, I've, I've been to Buffalo and uh, I'll never forget. I had one of the, my greatest trips for spring break. I took my three boys. We went to all of the Hall of Fames everywhere. And then we uh, from there, we went up to Buffalo and we, we had wings. So so is it going to be is it going to be Duff's or is it going to be the Anchor Bar? Which one's it going to be? So um, I like both, but I'm not. But there's another place there that I grew up eating chicken wings. It's called the Gate. But listen, if you're going to go to Buffalo, Frank and Teresa's, that's where it all happened. That's that's like the place, right? And so um, they started the wings, and um, the wings there are absolutely spectacular. Plus, they're pretty close to one of the hospitals. Um, it used to be called the Buffalo General Hospital. It's one of the places that I trained, and actually one of the places my dad used to work um, uh, when I was growing up. So uh, so I, I got to go with the Anchor Bar. All right. Fantastic. So the other thing that's been uh, pretty impressive in Buffalo the last couple of years, and yeah. I'm getting a sense that this could be the year again, we got to talk a little football, right? Go Bills. Listen, there there aren't too many things that really get my heart rate going, but the Buffalo Bills, um, 
definitely. If if God God is good, and I'm telling you, the Bills have to win a Super Bowl before I die. I lived through four um, failed Super Bowl finals, and um, and they're looking good this year. A big game on Monday night against San Francisco. Um, I live and die with that team. I'll just tell you that. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. I mean, I joke around with my kids. You know, my kids have grown up in Boston, right? I mean, so mm-hmm. it, it, we're pretty we're pretty much satisfied that the dynasty <laughs> has, has come to an end to this point. <laughs> I just look at my kids and I'm like, you don't understand. You know, your city doesn't win, you know, championship yeah. teams every single year. You guys have no idea how good you've had it. Yeah, you know, listen, we're surrounded. Um, you know, we've got some really great cities around us. We've got Toronto to the north. We've got Cleveland. We've got Pittsburgh. And everybody seems to win something except for Buffalo, right? So either the Bills or the Sabres have to come through at some point. I, I, I will say, say at least the way I think about it, um, uh, the perseverance that our sports teams show is sort of uh, embodied in the in the population of people there. That community is pretty strong. Um, and so when, when they get a victory, it's going to be an amazing time. I might just have to go back there. I hope it's non-COVID time, but uh, I would go back there for the celebration. Well, I think everybody's got your back on this one. I think even Judy Gustafson's probably got your back on this one. You know, it's time for Buffalo. It's time for Paul Favorito. Let's go, Josh Allen. Get your stuff together. Let's get the championship. I'd love that to happen. Yes. That's fantastic. All right. So I guess we should probably talk some orthopedics. So, so, uh, one of the reasons you're, you're one of my favorite orthopedic surgeons on the planet is we're going to call this next segment. We're going to call it the chutzpah segment, okay? So for those of you out there who don't know what chutzpah means, it's a, it's a Jewish or Yiddish word that means, you know, I guess I can say it, on, you know, say it out loud. It's big balls. You got, you got the ability to try and do stuff that most other people don't want to do. And, and you do that, like, routinely now. And I'm, it's just so impressive. And so I want, I want to talk about, you know, why is it that, that you are really okay with getting out of your comfort zone as you prepare to do something new and different, you're always in your comfort zone when you're teeing off on the first tee, right? But, but with the practice and the time and the energy that's committed to learning a new surgery is a challenge. And, and it really is not for everyone. And most people choose to go the other way and just continuing doing what they're doing. So I'd love, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on why this is so important to you and why it's such a big part of your practice. Well, so so first, for a very long time, um, I've lived by uh, sort of a simple principle, which is uh, anticipate, prepare, and pay attention to the detail, right? So I, and I started thinking about that even when I was in high school. I don't know why, but that's kind of how I started thinking about things. So I'll tell you a funny story that occurred when I was a fellow. And so when I was a fellow, um, my uh, my fellowship mentor was doing an open capsular shift to the shoulder. I love that operation. Now, this was, you know, 20 something years ago, but I love that operation. So he started, he made the incision and he looked at me and he said, Hey, you probably think you can do this operation. And I said, yes. And he said, well, I'll let you do it until you can't do it anymore. And I was like, okay. So I did the whole case. And he said, um, so he's like, yeah, you did a pretty good job. And I was like, thanks. So the next day we were going to a football game. He picked me up um, and he said, Hey, you know, you did a pretty good job with that case yesterday. And I said, thank you. He said, how many times have you done it? And I said, 500. And he's, I don't think he crashed the car, but I think he looked right over at me and he goes, there's no way you've done that case 500 times. And I said, well, actually I've done it four times, but I've done it 496 times in my head. So it's like 500, (laughs) right? And he's like, no. And I was like, well, you know, I figured one day I'd get a chance to do this, so I should be ready. And I've heard Tom Brady 
Now, I got an ambivalence with Tom Brady because he's destroyed the Buffalo Bills. But nevertheless, he, he says something like, listen, you know, whatever draft pick he was, you know, low. But he talks about how he um, you got to be prepared. You have to be ready. Right. And so at least for me, at each stage of my career, um, I feel like I'm ready to do stuff. And, and I've spent the last 20 years really focusing on trying to be a good shoulder surgeon. So when you say get out of your comfort zone, I don't actually feel out of my comfort zone doing that work because I feel like the foundation that I've built supports what I'm going to do next, right? I just feel like, you know what? This is the next logical progression. When we started talking about doing arthroscopic ladder jays and things like that, I figured out in my head how to do that operation, but there was like 5% of it I could not get past. And that's why I went to France. I worked with Laurent, uh, Laurent Lafosse. I know you did the same. And when I came back, I was like, I'm ready to do this. When I was there with Dave Weinstein, uh, a good friend of ours, he and I looked at each other after watching Laurent do two of these cases. And Dave said, what do you think? And I said, I can do this. He goes, me too. There was a third person with us whose name I don't remember. And we asked him and he said, there's no freaking way I'm ever going to do this operation. Hey, good for him. He recognized that. But I feel like we were ready, right? And so um, I, I think even now, some of the stuff I'm doing, people are like, that sounds crazy. And I was like, listen, you prepare, you do it, and you move on. That's what life's about. Yeah, no, I mean, your preparation, I, I think, is really super important because I, I tell a very similar story. And and uh, I love how you, how you talked with your daughter when you were about ready to do your first arthroscopic letter, Jane. Mm. Like, Dad, I think I can go in and do yeah. what I've been watching you do this on, on tape. So, so what do you do? I mean, you take it very seriously. Your preparation is key. You you go to labs. You go. You miss. You visit with master surgeons, and then you you study the video and you study the video, and then when it's time to hit, like I said, get to the first tee, you're ready to hit it down the middle. And so, but but at the same time, you know. You do that and you make that accomplishment. And, and then we'll talk a little bit more about one of the, the things I love is some of the travel stuff that we've both done. Uh, but then you're like, okay, that's pretty good. I got the whole letter Jane thing down. That was all right. But now I'm going to learn to do arthroscopically assisted tendon transfers for, for what's going on. So, But then you got to go through the whole process all over again, right? Absolutely. And, and, and listen, I'm a process guy. I love process. I love saying, what is the problem? What is the solution? How do we get there? And then to craft a plan to create a process, right? I mean, that, that, that fits very well into my personality. You know, as you, as you know, I like golf. And, um, and a few years ago, I, you know, I, I had gotten down to like a two handicap, and I wasn't going to get any better. I knew I couldn't get any better. And I went to work with, this, with a local golf pro, and he said, hey, you're, you're pretty good, right? And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm okay. And he's like, um, you probably hit, you know, a three left, three straight and three right. And I was like, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. And he's like, well, look, you want to get better? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, we're going to have to break your swing down. And I was like, okay. So I spent like the first six weeks in January moving the club, like two feet. I was walking around my house, my backswing, two feet. I went back to music. Like, you got that part, right? Next two more feet. But we got to May and I was like, hey, man, the weather's kind of nice out. Do you think I'll ever be able to hit a golf ball? I still don't have the club on the way down yet. He's like, oh, <laughs> we're going to get there. Right. But but my point is, um, I'm I'm almost always willing for the things that are important to me to invest the time to uh, 
to establish a, a plan that will create a process and then to work through the process to get to the end result. I don't know why I'm like that. I just, you know. It's no, and it, it, it's, it's just part of who you are. And what's, you know, you break one of the golden rules in life for me, which is, you know, I always tell everybody, look, before you have surgery, don't check the <laughs> handicapping of surgeon. Because if he's a two or a scratch, he's not going to be a good surgeon because he's going to waste too much time on the golf course. But, but Paul Favorito, <laughs> time club champion, you know, a scratch golfer is also a scratch surgeon. And so you do, you do break the rules. So that's fantastic. Yeah, that's very kind of you. Thank you, Siggy. Oh, you're very, very welcome. All right. So, so first and foremost, we got a lot of people out there that aren't orthopedic surgeons and I brought up tendon transfer. I think it'd be kind of cool to throw out a bone here, to educate, you know, the, so, so like my mother, for example, and then maybe also what the, the medical device reps are thinking at this point. So just talk, you know, really basic on the indications for a tendon transfer, how you're using it now. Yeah. So for me, um, the, the, and I just saw patients past week and, and they're booked for the, towards the end of the month, but I, you know, uh, this all came about because, um, I think as we look into fellow, as we look into our own practices and we see our successes and our failures, um, I, I'd been doing SCRs and I wasn't really quite thrilled with the results. Um, we talked a little bit about travel. I had uh, sort of been following along Bassem Elisan, previously the Mayo Clinic, now at um, MGH there, and and watching his results doing this procedure, and I was like, wow, that that looks pretty unbelievable. And then. I think it was last year I was in Chengdu um, for a meeting and Bassam was there and I, I looked at his presentation. I watched his videos and I was like, I am not getting these results. And basically right now when I'm using it is for irreparable post-row superior uh, rotator cuff tears, but primarily um, substantial external rotation deficiency. So if you've got no teres minor, if you've got no infra and you've got a hornblower sign, an external rotation lag test, um, hopefully some still reasonably preserve motion, but if you're really weak in ER, um, that to me is an optimal, uh, circumstance. So, uh, and, and you can go to my YouTube page, which shows the one video that I have. I actually updated it because when I did the video, I didn't have outcomes. Well, I updated that once this patient came back and I remember, and it wasn't that long ago that I did it, uh, but I had the exact same expression on my face and feeling when I saw how much better he was after this operation, as I did the first time I ever did a reverse, my first reverse patient came back and they went from pseudo paralytic to raising their hand above your head. I still have that video somewhere on my computer. And I say right into the camera, you know, I'm videoing, videoing her. And I said, oh, my God, like, I, I can't believe this works. Right. Because yeah. we do stuff and we're like thinking this is supposed to work. But is it going to work? Well, I mean. You don't know, right? Yeah. No, no, you don't. And, and there's times in clinical practice when you look at something and you say, I've never seen this before. And yep. then you're like, okay, now I've got to really figure out how to do this. That was a lot of information out there for the people out there. But the bottom line is some people have rotator cuff tears. They're not fixable. They don't have arthritis. Uh, what we were doing is taking a piece of, of skin from a tissue donor, doing an operation that worked okay. So instead, what we're doing is taking this 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 tendon and transferring it up 
uh, and creating a positive response for the patient. And then a reverse is a reverse total shoulder replacement <laughs> for the people out there that need our, our so, we're just We're just trying to keep everybody involved, you know. Thank you for doing that. I Sometimes I get, I get a little shoulder crazy there. I get a little excited there talking about this stuff. So Yeah, well, the good news, we're not going to talk anything about the inferior extremity today. So you, <laughs> you're right there. No, that was too funny. All right, so, so one of the other things that you and I have shared a lot of uh, is our travel. And, and I think, you know, I, I really, really miss it. I don't know about you. I mean, I don't miss sitting in the airports and, and, and being in delayed flights and things like that, but the interaction of having that personal interaction with your colleagues from around the world and, and then being able to go places and, and, and be with the people that live there and they show you the places where they eat and the things that they do. I mean, it really has been a very remarkable part of my professional experience. You, you got to miss it too. I'm assuming. I miss it so much. Um, And and this is travel season right now. My phone uh, keeps popping up with, oh, six years ago, you were in India and five years ago, you were in New Zealand. And um, and I I just think about the relationships that have been crafted, the opportunities that have arisen as a result of those relationships. Um, You know, I I think it's pretty simple. You know, the that sort of biblical reference, right? You know, feed a man, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, uh, teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime, something like that. And so I think that when I'm helping a patient, I'm helping one patient at a time, right? But when you go help another physician, specifically another surgeon, you could be helping an exponential number of people, right? Um, and so, you know, we have, it, it's, it's kind of weird to say, oh, I went to India and I taught, you know, 25 people how to do an arthroscopic ladder jay in a country that has a you know, hundreds or thousands of patients who have instability uh, and bone loss and all these other problems. Um, but, but I think that's true, right? And and that's an amazing opportunity. Uh, it's an amazing gift. Um, you know, we have to be pretty selfish in our practices so that we can succeed. Um, but I feel like I'm in a place now where it's a great opportunity to be able to give back, right? And, and that's one, you know, we give back to our patients every day. But um, it, it's amazing to give back to other physicians and uh, hopefully help them help their patients. And doing it around the world is just a, a very cool added bonus. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had the privilege of, uh, of operating in Poland and in China. But, you know, what we were doing was, you know, we'd be in an operating room and they'd line up some patients and we'd operate together. But you've, right. taken it, you've, you've had the experience of sort of taking it to, to a dinner and a show. I mean, like literally, like literally it's Dr. Favorito in the middle of like this theater of like 70 uh, Indian orthopedic surgeons watching your, your, your surgery. Tell us about that experience. That's got to be a little gut wrenching. Um, yeah. So when you talk about getting out of your comfort zone, um, that's. It, doing the procedure is not out of my comfort zone. Um, going to a place, it's a little bit like name that tune, right? You don't know what you're getting, right? You you think you know what you're getting. I mean, I went to India and I told them, you know, we, they're like, yeah, we'll have everything you need. And they, um, they, they peel packed uh, a whole uh, bunch of disposable burrs. And, and, and what I mean by peel packing is they had been reusing these burrs, right? And so by the time I got to use the burr, had I put that thing on my eyeball, nothing would have happened, you know? Um, and so I, I was I was using a radio frequency device in India as well. And the thing, I heard one of the people who was watching me go, uh-oh. And I said, oh, what's the uh-oh? And I looked at the screen and this thing just kind of exploded in the shoulder. And he's like, oh yeah, we already used that one too many times. And so that's the sort of thing you don't know what you're getting. Uh, again, when I was in India, I showed up and they said, well, here's your patient. And he was already on the table, but not asleep. I went to say hello. And I said, hey, um, what, what are those sutures 
in his shoulder. And they said, oh, yeah, we tried to do this last week and it didn't work. So we oh waited for God. you. <laughs> and and um, I mean, you want to talk about like chest pain. I mean, I don't have any cardiac problems as far as I know, but I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I walked out of there and I thought, man, what have I gotten myself into? Like I was not I wasn't prepared for that. Right. You know, so so those are the sort of things that I think um, I think you need the right personality, the right kind of person. I, I mean, deep down, I was like, what is this is a bad idea. Right. Because there's a there's a human being on that table. Right. And whether they're um, from South America or India or the United States, there's a human being on that table and you uh, have an obligation to them. Right. And, and all I'm thinking is, how am I going to get the best result um, for this person today, right? And so you you know you figure it out and um yeah, it's let's worked, be, but be is, clear. I mean, you landed the plane yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> right? nobody right. crashed, right? Nobody all, crashed. All, all the occupants walked out of that plane just fine. But but you yeah. are right. Um, but you know, I mean, um, I think there are some people, uh, you know, who like the moment, right? You know, you have to right. ask yourself: Is the moment too big for you? Because when the moment's too big for you, and you're out of your comfort zone. That's not good. Listen, I was the I was the medical director for the Cincinnati Ballet for like 15 years, and I operated uh, on the uh, inferior extremity of one of the principal ballerinas. And so um, I was backstage. She was just about to go on stage, and she uh, I mean she's going on stage in like a minute and a half, and she walks up to me, kind of stretching, and she says, "Hey, hey Dr. Favorito, can I ask you something?" I said, "Yeah." I said, hey, aren't you supposed to go on in a second? She goes, yeah, yeah, but do you ever get nervous uh, before surgery? And I go, no, <laughs> no. I said, um, do you ever get nervous before you're about to go out on that stage in those tights and do whatever you're going to do in front of all those people? She goes, no, not really. And I said, well, that would terrify me. So um, I'm glad <laughs> you're doing that, and, I, and I'm very glad that I'm doing what I'm doing. And she said, yeah, it works out great. So, okay. you know, you, so for the young orthopedic surgeons out there, the message is loud and clear. If you're going into a tough operation, imagine yourself in tight and <laughs> a ballerina outfit going out on stage instead of doing your surgery and you'll get through it fine. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I mean, the way I think about everything is, you know, if you're prepared, um, you don't have to be nervous. You know, if you're prepared for what's going to happen and what might happen, then um, whatever happens, uh, you're ready to handle it. You know, I, I'm nervous when I don't know what to do, but in surgery, I, I usually do know what to do. But that's the uh, that's a compilation of, um, you know, 20 to 25 years of, uh, of practice. Right. Yeah. Master, for sure. It's a it's a it's a it's a long road and it's not an easy road. And, and even now, you know, 25 years into practice, we still learn new things and and we still you know, one of our, I love the things that we do is our consensus, right? You know, we have a great chat room, you know, where me, you, Sean, uh, McMillan, Sharif, Eamon Ferry, yep. we all get on, we throw up an x-ray or a case. And and then you go from 25 years, years of experience to, to 100 years of experience, yeah. right? And then you're really, so those types of things I think are really cool too. One of the, one of the other things that, that you and I share a passion for is, is opioid sparing surgery and, you know, talking about, you know, how you can affect the lives of others. I mean, I, that's a great, it's been a great passion for me over the years, and I, I, I look to see how many patients that we've helped beyond my clinical scope. As you talked about, you help these doctors who help other patients. You make a big difference. I'd love to, for, for the audience to hear your, your perception of, of upper extremity block, the scaling block now that you're doing, and how that's really changed the experience for the patient. Uh, I, I would say um, every day that I'm in the office, uh, I'm either uh, trying to convince someone that this surgery is not going to be as bad as you think it's going to be, or um, 
receiving uh, great accolades from patients who say, I can't believe how good my surgery turned out because I don't have pain. And when I tell patients, um, you know, we're going to do your shoulder arthroplasty and you might not need any narcotics postoperatively. I know they're, they're thinking I'm like a snake oil salesman. And then I go to the next room and my patient says, I did a, yeah, I can't believe it. I only took two Percocet because someone told me to, but I didn't need to. So I will say that um, the liposomal bupivacaine, the expiral interscaling block, um, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, forever indebted to my anesthesiologists who have taken this on. They do it under ultrasound guidance, and it is the single most impactful thing that I have ever done to help my patients with pain. And, I, and I'll tell you that, um, you know, this, this all started for me because I was on the sideline uh, of a football game and one of my athletic trainers said, Hey, Hey, um, do you see that, that guy over there? And I looked over and it was a, I don't know, a younger guy with his, um, you know, one-year-old daughter and his wife. And, and he said, you did his ACL about 10 years ago. And I was like, Oh, that's great. And he goes, you remember him? And I was like, yeah, you know, not really. And he goes, Oh yeah. You know, he got hooked on pills and he was, you know, then he dropped out of college and, and, and she started going on about this horrific, story and and i said what she goes oh yeah yeah he was an addict for a couple of years but he's clean now and he's he's got his act together and i thought my first thought was i made someone an addict like really are you really and and i thought about that for a second i said oh my god how many other times have i done that and it was really from that day forward that i started thinking about how how and what we can do to um, make this experience less less painful for our patients. And look, I, I've been watching you. I, I mean, you know, you're my opioid sparing hero. So I, I've been following along, you know, behind you, but you know, I'm, I'm sort of a fast follower on things like this, but um, I've watched what you've done, what you've done, and it's been absolutely incredible. Um, and so I think we owe that to our patients, right? Um, and so, you, you know, whether it was just injecting local anesthetics and then using a multimodal um, and then progressing to what I'm doing now, it, it's, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, I did, um, you know, in the last, I don't know, two days, I think I did 11 cases and three or four arthroplasties. Every single one of them went home, right? I, that could have never happened ever I mean, we were giving people 60 Percocets, refills, refills. I mean, the the thousands of pills I've doled out is just, it's just, it hurts me to think about it. And it hurts me to think about the people that I probably uh, unknowingly turned into, um, you know, opioid addicts. Well, I mean, look, let's, let, let's, it, it's heavy shoulders for all of us, but we were doing what we were taught and we were doing what we were told. And unfortunately, the entire system was misguided. So, yep. You know, we weren't bad people. We were doing what we thought was the best for our patients at the time. The good news is moving forward, we do have these awesome alternatives at this point. So listen, for, for you listeners out there, whether it's your parents or, or yourself, if you're thinking about having upper extremity surgery, a shoulder replacement, a rotator cuff surgery, you find a doctor that's going to wind up doing a liposomal bupivacaine scaling block because it is a game changer for the operation. As Dr. Favorito said, our patients are now opioid free. You know, rotator cuff surgery does not have to suck. You don't have to be, you know, it splinted for six months and have terrible pain and discomfort. Yep, yep. So search it out. It's there. You know, we're believers. We, both of us have been doing this for a very long time. And that block has only been around since really 2018, April. So it's amazing how profound it's been. So, 
really thank you for sharing that. So, you know, the other thing, Paul, is we like to give back to some of the listeners too. And uh, we have a large medical device uh, uh, rep population out there and pharma people as well. And so there was an interesting paper that was just published out of JSCS, you're a member of Shoulder and Elbow Society, by Danny Goyle and J.P. Warner. And uh, basically, they did a poll for, for surgeons, upper extremity surgeons across the country. And they asked, you know, how important are reps for for surgical intervention as far as safety, efficacy, and, and the process? And uh, 80% of the uh, physicians that responded to the poll said that reps were absolutely necessary and a vital part of the process. So love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, so look, in industry in general has been very important to me. Um, and and the reps that I work with are, are like, they're like gold, right? Uh, I, I mean, they... Um, you know, I'm. I believe in the in the team concept. I I might be the the focal point of that team because I'm the surgeon, but nothing. I can't accomplish my task without those people. So, um, so from my perspective, I, I look at reps many different ways, right? So, a lot of reps come and they don't really help me so much, right? I mean, they're coming to learn as much as they are to provide me with service, and and, and I'm grateful for that because. If I can show them a technique, if I can help educate them and they can use that information to ultimately educate other surgeons locally, regionally, nationally, or share that information on their own sort of rep chat um, groups that they're in, then I feel like I'm, I'm helping everyone. But, but as it relates specifically to my operating room, uh, the comfort of knowing that all of my equipment, all of my products, everything is going to be there. Um, that's what helps me sleep at night. Um, I know I'm going to show up and I don't have to worry that things won't be there. Um, cause that's what I need. I don't need them to tell me how to use the products. I don't need them to tell me the techniques. Um, I just need to make sure that what I have is available. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I like my reps for entertainment too. You know, it's always <laughs> good that, uh, that, you know, if, if there's nothing that's needed and the rep is just sitting in the back of the room, then that's perfect. Right? right. Because they've done their job. Right. They've made sure that the tech knows what they need to do because you may not be getting an, an orthopedic tech every time. Sometimes, I mean, in the main hospital, I'm always, you know, worried about what's going to happen in my surgery center. It's never an issue. But but, you know, when the reps are there behind the scenes, they just make a huge difference in really making everything run you know, seamlessly. So I'm part of that 80 percent. And I don't know who the other 20 percent are, but, you know. We love you guys. We appreciate all the work that you're doing out there. And, and I think your, your, your thoughts were great too, Paul. I mean, cause you know, there's a, there's a lot of guys out there that, that may not, a lot of surgeons uh, that may not have the same experience with the instruments and the products that you're using. And so those reps can watch you as the master and then they can provide counsel to those other doctors. You're exactly right. It makes them better. So I would say to all you reps out there, get as many reps as you can with your A surgeons, the masters that are out there, and then be able to sort of dissipate that, that information down to your other doctors as well to make sure that they're uh, doing the best that they can. Well, Paul, look, you know, love you, appreciate you. You are uh, you're a leader amongst men, and we really greatly appreciate your time here today. Uh, thank you so much. Siggy, you are a leader in our whole world. Uh, we all want to be like you one day, but thank you for everything you do. Oh, uh, you're the best, brother. All right, this is Dr. Scott Sigmund, host of the Ortho Show, hashtag follow the fro. Till next time.